Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. As always, please subscribe and share. We have today the pleasure of speaking with one of our very beloved friends, Mary Kay Ryan. Mary Kay is trained as an anthropologist, an acupuncturist, and an herbalist. She has been studying shamanism for about 25 years and still practices and teaches students in the Chicagoland area and around the country. We're very pleased to have her on and are thrilled with the results of our conversation. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Mary Kay. She and Daniel detail some shamanic experiences of interacting with what were perceived as divine forces. Mary Kay talks about the show Lucifer and its many humorous perspectives on the various traditional views and the relationships between God and what are believed to be his family. She also shares a story of meeting a Taoist immortal in Chicago. We also detail wisdom as a process of remembering, seeing the world as divine, and communicating the feeling of an experience through storytelling. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jen and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. <sighs> Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. I guess nuanced question number two for what maybe you think about this, uh, Mary Kay. Daniel and I haven't done a God episode. You know, neither one of us are, I think, anti-theistic exactly. Is that fair to say about you, Daniel? Like, you're okay with theism, or how do you think about that? What is theism like? like, like, like in, in, what, in what sense? Well, do you, do you feel, I, I've almost, maybe before I ask you, Mary Kay, I'll just throw out the Daniel too, because we've been meaning to talk about, but we haven't. So um, just the idea that you're okay with like a personal divinity, how do you feel about that? Well, I, I you know, I'm sort of not struggling, but it's a question I think that is, I don't know that it's like answerable in the definite state, you know, like I can answer it now. But if you ask me in a few years from now, I don't know how, if I'm, my answer would be the same. Uh, and so, and I think I've been in this sort of questioning state probably since I was a young child. And I don't know why, but I just, it's always been a question of mine. And I think even though I study and practice and try and, and I've had, and I've, the question has been answered to me, but like in my heart, it's still, there's still a little bit cloud of confusion, you know? Um, and the way that I look at like, quote unquote, like divinity is, or, or the idea of God is sort of, a twofold. One is sort of like the way that it has been brought forth and, and sort of placed upon the world. I feel like it's some sort of a po like, I don't know, opposing force. And maybe that's just the way that it's presented, you know, in, in the, in the modern sense that like you go to a place, you go to a church and they're going to tell you about God, you know, as if they have met this individual, you know, even though we're reading the same exact books not in a language that we understand originally it's translation of a translation right you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. and so in th in this case that sort of idea of divinity to me seems a bit oppressive right it seems like an overbearing father right or yeah. mother who knows you know overbearing parent parent yeah but there is still some like and, and as an overbearing parent you'll still love your parent because they're your parent and they do for you but then simultaneously like we talked about earlier they give you trauma. They don't always know what they're doing. You know, there's and like how big is the trauma if it's God? I mean, woo, big trauma. Exactly. So this this part is hard for me to sort of wrestle with, you know. And then you get then then when you ask questions in prayer, you know, how do you reconcile with that? You know, how do you reconcile with the amount of suffering and the amount of things that go on in the world and you know the uncertainty and the, the unease that's just all over. So that's that's one part. The other part then is sort of like the inner divinity right, which is our own internal manifestation of that thing. 
which probably is is my not just my take, but I think the take of a lot of modern spirituality, not just modern spirituality, but spirituality, period, <clears throat> regardless of the context of where it comes from, is sort of your desire, your innate ability to connect with that part of the spirit of the Tao of God of whoever that manifests to you through you and does for everybody else. And how do we um, tap into and touch and then emanate that to make that um, aspect more exposed so that others can see and then connect with that, remind themselves. And then we sort of do this mirror like thing where we are reflecting the divinity in each other to each other. So these are kind of like my my sort of mindsets to it. And it kind of fits back, I think, a little bit to the perfectionism idea in that like you have perfectionism on a, on a whole, right? As a society is good because society gets better. And we are a lot better than we were in the Renaissance times, for sure. However, then you have perfectionism on, a, on an individual level, which puts too much pressure for a person to mm. become quote unquote perfect. This is kind of like the opposite. On the on a societal level, the quote unquote you know divine being has tend to be tend to be sort of a, a ambiguous character to say the least. But then on an individual level, I feel like now we are in even more touch with it than we probably ever have been on a, on a larger said. scale. So this is generally how I'm kind of like thinking about this. Very nicely said. That is lovely. You should write all that down. That's kind well, of great. We recorded it. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Nobody <laughs> writes anything down anymore. That's right. You know, so we got that. Did you want me to answer that question in Eric? I mean, I think about, it's, yeah. Am I a yeah, theist I it's, or? It's kind of fascinating just to see where we think about this, given the culture that we come from and the things that we've all studied. So yeah, I think it's fascinating. Um. So what I used for a long time when I was young and I was being a Marxist, I used to say I hate God. And then um, that went away, although I must have been communicating it because my niece, my niece, not my niece, my granddaughter came to me a number of years back and said, why do you hate God? And I said, wow, that's so weird. I don't hate God. Why do you think I hate God? Um, because she's, uh, her dad's Mexican and they're Catholic and so forth. So, so apparently I was still communicating that I hate God, even though I don't hate God anymore. And so what I said was, um, more recently is I don't care about God. And what I meant is not in a snotty way, not like, I don't care, not like that, just um, it doesn't speak to me. The idea of God uh, in the way that uh, even in the more benign senses, it's too far away. When I studied African, uh, West African religions, uh, it's very common for those religions to have a sort of deity who's the creator of all, but nobody cares about him because he's too far away. He, what they care about is the spirits who can intervene in everyday life. Um, who, you know, you can see that in Catholicism. God's great and all that, but who do we really care about? Mary and the saints. Why? Because they can intervene on everyday life. And I'm a, in my own weird esoteric way, I'm a pretty on the ground everyday life kind of guy. And so God in that view was too far away. But everybody else that I was around was like really interested in God. And so I thought, okay, I, I need to be more interested in this or, or try to figure out about it. Because my not caring translated as I'm not looking into it because it doesn't speak to me. It's not a thing that drives me. Um, and if I think about it at all, I think about what the kind of very Orthodox Jews say, which is you shouldn't even try to talk about God. It's it's a ridiculous thing to do. I mean, blasphemy, whatever. I don't care about blasphemy because that has to do with someone being pissed off. I'm saying you can't talk about it. It's a thing that is sort of ineffable and, and cannot be uh, understood linguistically anyway it's an experience and all the mystics say the same thing so fine it didn't speak to me but I felt that I should look into it anyway because everybody cares about it and I was out of my reactionary kind of eh, you know kind of snotty place so I did a journey and the journey was please can anybody show me anything about God uh, how should I understand this? Or what, what is this? What does it matter to me? Anything you want to tell me, anything, anybody feels the need to tell me about this. I'm open to listening. 
And what I saw was <clears throat> very visual. It was very far out in space. So it actually was out in space. Uh, it was dark, you know, out where the stars are and stuff. But and it had a feeling of sort of being a central place to the extent you can know what's central when you have no reference points, but it felt sort of central and it was a fountain of light. Yeah, yeah, out of yeah. which came everything all the time. Not way back when, but constantly, constantly. So that was it. It was very beautiful. Um, there was no sense in which it was a person. Um, on the other hand, I would say there was a sense of it being enlivened in some way. It was not a thing. It was not an it or a th But then, you know, shamanically, I don't think any, there's not much that I think of as an it. So the idea that I would pick the one, <laughs> the creative force of the universe and call it an it would be kind of odd. I don't think of rocks as being its. So it, it had an enlivened feel. And, uh, and that was it, that was the journey. And that was all that was needed to be shown to me apparently. And then I went and talked to a friend of mine in Ireland quite a few years later, uh, who has a degree in a, a mixed degree in music and um, um, theology. And he's incredibly adjusted. And his name is, he's an incredibly accomplished musician. Uh, he's played all over the place, and, but he lives in this little town in Ireland. Um, he's English himself. And uh, I was telling him that because he had a theology degree. And he said, well, it's funny, Mary Kay, because I think most enlightened people these days would describe God in something like that way. Um, the idea that it's a fat old man on a cloud throwing down thunderbolts and making rules and being kind of oppressive is old news. And that, that current, much more modern notions of what God is would be much more like that. Um, so that's it. I actually did some paintings of it um, along with some other journeys. So that was my feeling about God. It was still pretty far away. It wasn't very clear to me that it was gonna do anything specifically for me, nor did I care to do a lot of work like Eric does to try to unify myself with said force. Too much work, too hard and, and not productive enough. It doesn't get me anything. I don't have any need to be in bliss. I'm okay. I, I'm not looking to be in, in some kind of bl blissful state. And I'm not meaning that sarcastically. I, it's fine if people are, good for them. Nothing wrong, I'm not criticizing. It's just not a driving force for me. Um, so that's it. That's my, my statement about God. Eric, From our journey, of course. <laughs> Eric, before you go, let me just, let me, Mary Kay mentioned a journey that she had to, to God. And, and, and I, so I want to, you know, we, we don't really talk about this too much on the show. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, take it away. So, uh, so I, Mary Kay, like you did a journey to God and, and for people who are interested in, um, shamanism more, you know, feel free to, to email us at the show, at gin and tantra at gmail.com. And if you have a specific question for Mary Kay, you can also just email us and then I will, you know, forward, I'll, I'll forward your email to Mary Kay and you guys could certainly get in contact if you're interested in doing some training or just, you know, have general questions from somebody who's been practicing for, for quite a long time. Um, so I did a journey to God, right? And, I, and so I, I went in with this, I asked, who is God? That was my question, or what is <laughs> God, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I was walking around in a very sort of metropolitan area, maybe something like you can imagine like New York, like Times Square. The streets were very busy. It was normal times like how it is now. I mean, not now, but let's say pre-corona when there was like lots of people everywhere. Maybe it's that way now. I don't know. You know, but we're going to assume it's regular time. And I ended up in an alley and I'm sort of walking around for a long period. I'm like, well, this is really kind of an anticlimactic experience. Just walking around downtown, like, you know, I'm expecting some kind of, uh, you know, lights, yeah. you know, something, some angels. I don't know. Give me something. It's awe-inspiring. <laughs> No. And I walked past uh, a like kind of a homeless person who was like laying on their side facing the other direction. And as I walked past that person, I kind of like bumped maybe like some stuff that they had laying out in the alley. And then he rolled over 
and he stood up and came over and talked to me and I shook his hand. And as soon as we, as soon as our kind of like energies came close together, you know, you kind of walk up to somebody before you give them a hug or you shake their hand, or uh, I guess now people are bumping elbows or whatever we're doing now, you know, to greet each other. Um, you know, you kind of come up with somebody and your energy sort of meet and you could feel, you could feel them a little bit, you know? And so as soon as he came up, the, all the background noise of the streets and the horns and the people walking by and stuff like that faded away. And we were just in this alley, this sort of infinitely long alley, both ways, right to my right and to my left. It just didn't stop. And we shook hands and we locked eyes. And when I looked in this person's eyes, the eyes didn't change, but every word that he said, his body changed is being changed. And he said, we are everyone and everywhere and everything. And again, with every word, his being shifted to a different person, a female, a child, an old person, like it was just kind of moving, but the eyes were, the eyes were fixed. And it just like, I kind of like connected on such a deep level to that thing. Then the journey was over, like right after that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I never, I never forgot the intensity of that gaze you know, to like, they say that the eyes are the windows to the soul. And, you know, I believe that I saw some kind of something that would allow me to take that tagline and believe that that might actually be true. Hmm. Nice. You know, if people were able to have some experience like that, um, as young people, instead of being told a lot of stuff about God from books or whatever, maybe God would be a lot more meaningful to people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because once you've had an experience like what you just described or the one I had, nobody, nobody can talk me out of that. Nobody can say, well, well, they can try. They can say that was just something, 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 but that isn't going to work for me because uh, it's like once you've experienced love, like being in love, People can tell you, oh, well, love is just a chemical, something, something. And you'll go, yeah, yeah, whatever. Right. Because you've had the experience can't really be taken away from you or explained away, I don't think. And so, yeah. So once again, I think that spirituality should be experiential, in mm-hmm. my opinion, and, and less ideological. Um, because then it really is um, a thing that is embedded in you. Um in a meaningful way and it helps just to come back to this it helps you know what the point is because once you've had many of those experiences they knit themselves into a meaning system that may not be completely consistent or coherent but you can feel it and you know you you kind of know why you get up every day Mm -hmm. right and I think that the, the opposite of that is, is never having any experience like that and not knowing why you get up every day. Like, what is the point? What am I doing? I'm just going through the motions, you know? Anyway, that was a lovely, that was a lovely experience. Thank you for telling us that. Thank you for sharing as well. That was neat. Um, I was going to say, I just have to say this. I don't, probably everybody else out there knows about this series, Lucifer, on Netflix. If you're not watching this, you really should be. It's so damn funny. That's part one. It's so funny. And it's Neil Gaiman, you know. I mean, he didn't do all the writing, but the original ideas were his. He's apparently too ill to be writing now. But, um, it's they're just these hilarious because there's a point at which the devil lucifer actually has a therapist and he keeps trying to tell the therapist that he is the devil and she keeps thinking it's a metaphor and when he talks about his father god she thinks he's working out his family issues and there's a scene in the in the uh, sixth season where god has come down to earth and of course he's an older african-american man and they're sitting at a table and it's he and amenadiel who's one of the main archangels and michael and lucifer who's also called samael and then the therapist and she's sitting there thinking wow this is a dysfunctional family Um, because, you know, Lucifer had problems with his father, and Michael had problems with Lucifer, and it's, but there are these lines in it. There's one where she offers God, she says, would you like something to drink? I could get you water or wine, or I don't know, is it all the same to you? (laughs) There are just these little throwaway lines that are 
hilarious. But the the whole notion of uh, the devil being angry with his father because wow, I did one thing and you kicked me out of the house and went you know radio silent for thousands of years on me and stuff. Um, and in it, uh, I I don't want to do a spoiler, so turn us off if you don't want to hear this. But uh, in it. Um, this one character finds out that God is perhaps not perfect. Um, and by the way, God is very funny because he won't say anything that's clear. And Lucifer is just furious with him. He says, will you stop with the ineffable, mysterious way stuff and just give me a straight answer about something? But it turns out that perhaps God is not perfect. And by the way, God wants to retire. He feels he might be slipping. And um, and it really just this one guy gets real one character gets really destroyed by that he's for a while he's just he feels like the fact that this thing that was absolute for him and was absolute even though he wasn't a very religious person the idea that God isn't perfect really shakes him up and and kind of goofs up his idea of the world and how it works so it brings up all these subjects only it does it in the most hilarious form. So I highly recommend it if you want to, if it's Irish, if you want to think about really profound things while drinking beer and laughing, mm-hmm. Lucifer, you should watch it. Uh, it's, it's, I was thinking about it a lot because I knew we were going to talk about this stuff. Something a little similar. I was watching it again with my daughter, uh, Supernatural is the other show where they really go down roads where you're like, I can't believe this is on American television. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they get to the point where God appears as a character. Right. I, and I he's love essentially it. kind of a manipulative dick. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't want to ruin it because it's like season, you know, 15 of how many they did. So spoilers. <clears throat> but they eventually like, the two brothers are kind of like, well, this is bullshit. We can't keep following this person who right. has infinite power, you know? So they play all these different cards on this thing too. You can watch the show for yourself. They actually do a whole season where God also has a sister who's been repressed. Shall you back uh, to our divine feminine episodes? They have yeah, a whole Lucifer, season, which is uh, in like Lucifer, God has a sister wife. of divine. Yeah, ah, God, that makes sense. God has a wife. And um, this one guy ends up sleeping with God's wife by mistake. And, um, he doesn't know that it's got anyway it's very funny but yeah i it, i find it interesting that these kinds of things are coming up in popular culture because um there are some very bright writers on some of these shows and there are people who are thinking about things neil gaiman is if you haven't read his stuff he's been thinking if you haven't read good omens and you want a really good laugh about armageddon read good omens um because he's been thinking about, and people, uh, the Christians, of course, uh, got quite pissed off about Lucifer and tried to get them to take it off the air because they said it was disrespectful. Um, It's not disrespectful. You don't delve into these issues in the way he has and thought about them as much as he has to be able to make humorous comments unless you are in some sense deeply interested and kind of drawn to it. So it's, it's okay. As my mother used to say, if, if God didn't have a sense of humor, then we wouldn't because we're supposed to be made in God's image. So if we can laugh, God can laugh. That's if God does anything like laughing uh, in between spewing out light and transforming into different beings. (laughs) (laughs) So Eric, what do you think? Um, Yeah, yeah, I think this has been like, kind of this fascinating conversation what i love about what you two were both saying is it's an experiential thing and you can never take it away right uh even the analogy of love i thought about that one too what you were saying mary Kay. um and it's what's always funny in those conversations because you, you could always say well you're telling me what you're telling me is also just your brain state too dude so <laughs> why is your brain state count more than mine how come you have the special brain state and i don't but on the experiential side, it's it's awesome because I almost feel like it like all of our different experiences speak to some aspect of this question in their own way. 
So for me, this was before I really even got super zenny, but it probably is also like the way it was for you two, though. It's one of those experiences that you're like, okay, I'm going to carry this one with me. And it does influence how I think about stuff. So I, I think I mentioned it in one other episode, but I was, I was, you know, going through my first serious romantic breakup and I was all heartbroken and life seemed to be a mess in many ways beyond that. I don't think I really got my head really fully shrunk either. And I was despondent and despairing. And I was sitting on the couch in my you know, apartment near uh, college and kind of just uh, feeling glum and grim. And I was like, okay, uh, this is bullshit. <laughs> let, me, let me find out if there's something real point in this. The point. And That's so I point. was like, okay, is there, I was like, okay, I want to know like now, is there like a God? And uh, I had this like blinding light that just flashed through my field of vision. I was just like, and I usually joked and I fell off my horse on the way into Damascus, <laughs> St. Paul or something. But it was like this really like, it was like blinding. And I was like, what the hell was that? And I tried to figure out, can I recreate this? Or what was this thing? Mm. So that was my answer, this blinding just thing. And it was long and I was like, okay, that's it. And, um, you know, per your chart experiences too, that's probably been a big influence. You know, when you were just talking about the, the figure out in the cosmos and everything is coming out, I, I get that too. I've had a kind of that kind of vision as well, you know, and I've sort of thought, well, maybe that's like Tao or something. I, I feel like I've seen that. And I've also maybe had the flip side of this where I felt like, well, this is really immediate, which maybe echoes a little bit more Daniel's experience too. Something like you're staring like right in the eyes. It was a visual experience for me too. So I was, I, that's been a weird question for me because I was like, okay, on the one hand, I could see everything is coming out of this source. I totally vibe with that. And not like a long time ago, far away, like just some big bang, but right. like forever, all forever. the time, all the, know, time. all the time. And also that everything around is really immediate too, that, you know, like I have the cell phone sitting at my daughter's desk here in the room where I'm recording. This is also like the same thing. <laughs> it's not just someplace far away. It's like everything around you all the time. The mm. trippy part for me, and this is like a little Carl Jung synchronicity thing, is use the word it. And, um, and you're like, well, that's a funny word to use for like the source of everything, it. <laughs> but in my prep for this episode, I was listening to uh, an audiobook by this uh, Zen master, Brad Warner. Um, he's a really interesting character and hopefully ultimately a podcast guest. And uh, he uses this, uh, he's, he's talking about this great Zen master, Dogen like one of the really great historical Zen masters. And he uses this word called inmo in his essays. And the Jap the best translation for inmo is it. Oh, it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a word that Dogen keeps saying, like, I don't think that the Japanese were exposed from what Brad Warner was saying, the author of the book and you know the Zen master, that Japanese culture was even exposed to you know, European, uh, not, I shouldn't say Middle Eastern, you know, uh, uh, religious thought yet they hadn't even seen it mm. they might have known something about brahma or whatever right <laughs> but he's trying to describe like everything everything around you including you and all of you is this thing <laughs> that's mm. it <laughs> and, yeah, Capital I. word over and over again inmo inmo and no one really brad was saying no one even knows how to translate this exactly it's a Kind of one of those impossible words. Sometimes they say thusness, or sometimes they say suchness, suchness or sometimes yeah. they say suchness. some fancy word. But he actually argues that that isn't the word Dogen is even using. You know, it's it's really not that word. People are just trying to put another word in there. He's just using this word it, and he's trying to make this Zen point that everything around you and you and your mind and your body and all the stuff is all just this manifestation of this it. Mm. And that's the whole essay, you know, as kind of this Zen realization. So I guess that spoke to me on some level, you know, like I was really interested in like, as, as I would imagine you two are both in your experiences too. You're kind of like, okay, so let me internalize this like for reals. Let me take this in and really see what this means to me and not just lose it. You yeah. know, just have the experience and it goes, but let me take this for reals. So whether that means for Daniel, every time he's looking someone in the eyes, he's seeing that divinity or, you know, you contemplate the, the place of which everything is coming or, around you, you see everything is like secretly this blinding light, <laughs> you know, you're internalizing the experience. So I think, I think it's cool. I think it's a great conversation and I'm glad we did this one because <laughs> I was glad to hear these stories. I, I had really so all the big ideas, right? Yeah. 
I had this other experience. I'll just tell you very quickly because uh, you'll you'll like this, Eric. Um, <clears throat> I was doing a lot of Taoist reading. I was studying with Livia Cohn. I had organized these Taoist retreats and I was doing a lot of just thinking about Taoism and so forth and meditation and so forth. And one of the questions I asked uh, friends of mine, uh, maybe Barb Schmidt, I don't remember, is uh, I wonder if these Taoist masters became immortal, how would you know who they are? Would they be homeless people like um, Daniel was describing? Would they be big world leaders? Would they be religious? Who would they be? So I was contemplating that just like, how would you know who the Taoist immortals are? And I, I know, you're going to think I'm crazy, but this really actually happened to me. I was in the DePaul bookstore downtown on State Street, and I was reading and drinking a latte or something, and I started laughing at something I was reading, don't remember what it was, and someone sat down next to me at my table and said, I am a Taoist master. And I said, I'm a Taoist immortal. Uh, I'm a Taoist immortal. And I just looked at him and he had, wait for it, a wire um, thing on his head. Like, um, you know how people say aluminum uh, foil hats to keep out the, yeah. It wasn't an aluminum foil hat. It was made out of wire and it was sitting on his head. And I looked at him and I said, I didn't even miss a beat. I said, oh, you know, I've been wondering how you would know who you people are. And he said, he was a young guy. He said, oh, you know, Mary Kay, you just have to pay attention to how you feel. And that oh, so was he it. He knew your name? He knew your name too? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and he, and he, and I think we may have talked a little bit more. I don't remember. Oh, he told me they had just put him out of a class upstairs. They had told him he had to leave a class. Now, yeah, I know. Uh, anybody who's a psychotherapist out there is going, a lot of psychotic people are highly psychic and they can read other people's thoughts because they don't have normal boundaries. This is, you know, known in psychiatry. So yeah, all that's possible. But when you are asking who are these Taoist masters, I mean, immortals, and someone sits down next to you and says, I am a Taoist immortal. It does, sh you know, shake you up a little. It shook me up. I mean, it made me laugh. What did I do? I laughed out loud when he said that. And then I said, I wondered how, I wondered how we'd know you people. So that, that actually happened to me. And, and um, that's the whole experiential thing. Like, I don't know what to make out of that exactly. But it's hard to think that that wasn't something important. I don't know. It felt important to me. In a way, it made me laugh also. I don't know. Isn't there it's a thing about if you meet the Buddha in the road, you're supposed to kill him? But I think if you meet the Buddha in the road, you should laugh at him or with him, whichever is more appropriate. Uh, anyway, that's just a thing. I wasn't doing a journey. I was just sitting downtown minding my own business. So, so maybe what I'll throw out to you two <laughs> is what do you think about these kinds of experiences then? Because obviously, if you're going to do the work that, I mean, especially you're doing journeys and things, but even experiences like that, or you do meditation or any of these things, you're going to have these experiences. Uh, on the one hand, I, you know, what we were saying earlier, you don't want to lose them. They're too important. You want to hold on to them, right? And, you know, uh, Daniel and I have talked about this a lot too, that you can lose it. It'll go. And on the other hand, you want to be critical. You don't want to just... Uh, ask questions about it but then like to me mary Kay, i think you might have doused immortal <laughs> like I'm totally that's what i thought and i will tell you i told livia cohen that and i told it at a workshop i just said i don't know what anybody wants to make out of this i'm just going to tell you here was my experience and livia you know she may have written 35 books and be a german and speak seven languages and be very intellectual but she just looked at me and went okay whoa you know, she did not try to talk me out of it or tell me it was just something, you know, she so just I, let it be. Maybe my question would be, how do you all work in yourselves to uh, try to hold on to these things and integrate them? Do you have any advice on that for people? I know it's not an easy question, but uh, how about from your own experience with that? How do you incorporate these things? I guess we've been talking about that, but do you have any other 
any any you, other advice? For you those? have something to say about that, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's a it's a continual process, and you are because the nature of memory is fickle. Like Mary Kay was talking about this earlier, you're as you get older, you just realize that you know things. You're not really even sure when or how you learn them, but all of a sudden now you know them. Um, and, but you know, you have some life-changing experience or, and, and that life-changing experience could be anything. It could be a dream. It could be a near-death experience. It could be a, you know, the loss of some loved one by, you know, breakup or they passed away or they moved away or just some, you know, some traumatic life experience or just some life experience, a great class, or even a great podcast like Gin and Tantra. Um, <laughs> you know, but you have these things and they kind of, it's like, for me, the way I think about it, it's kind of like waves and you have an experience and there's kind of like a blip in the water. That's a little wave, you know, but as you continue down the path, the experiential path, it should be, or it might be, let's say it might be supported by further experiences later. Right. And the frequency hopefully starts to increase to that. Like it's a reminder because we can't remember everything. And part of the problem with like, as we all have to work so damn much to pay for all the things, yeah, true. you know, um, is that like, you're constantly inundated with all these other minor things. And we're, you know, sort of made to believe, well, this is how life is. I guess if that's how we think it should be, then yes, that's correct. That's how life is. And people have always had to work and support themselves and whatever, but like, it wasn't that long ago when it got dark out, you're done. Like you were finished. You made a fire in your life. And then now you get to read if there was books available or contemplate whatever you want or just sit in the forest and think and really, you know, hear nature and be with it, you know, and, and the animals were alive at night and you can hear them in, in a much more kind of realistic way. So you were connected to nature. But now, especially with people working from home and, you know, uh, constantly <laughs> working online and everything, there is no disconnect you know, from, from the external environment. And so I think it's important to have discussions like this to remind people of that. I think of the inherent spiritual nature. And so that we can be reminded of the things that are probably deeply true that many, 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 many people feel are not just a, 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 a kind of like a manifestation of human nature, but are probably something that came into the that, that helped to create humanity as it is you know right now with our minds and our hearts to, to have the potential that they have so for me these experiences are several in a long line of uh teachings in various forms to educate me on a deeper level beyond the level of my thinking mind you know mm -hmm. to be on the level of the in, not just the intuitive mind but of the knowing mind because yeah. my intuition can say kill your neighbor's cat he stole your wallet, you know what I'm saying? And now I have to listen, you know, right? But, but of the knowing minds that such that we can have a conversation about this and I can give where I'm at and say, this is where I'm at right now. And so I just, I love to be able to do this. And this is, you know, I hope to be able to have this conversation spark that remembrance from, for other people. And the last thing I'll say is that like, I feel like for me personally, the, the internal feeling of, having insight, you know, learning something new or having like a really deep moment of like, oh, whoa, I never realized that before feels identical to remembering something. Mm. And so then I wonder, is it just the same damn thing? And if that's the case, then maybe we're just constantly reminding ourselves of something that we already know. Well, that's what Plato said. Plato said um, that, that basically wisdom was about remembering things that you that you've forgotten uh he wouldn't have used this language but that we might say you forget in the process of being incarnated into a body you forget a lot of what you knew um and that wisdom and insight is about remembering things that you that you knew uh, so i think that's useful because that might be at least one explanation as to why it feels like remembering because it is according to those people's thinking about it. Mm. Um, I think I have a slightly different take on this because um, like, I think Eric said something about, um, oh, well, people might say that's just your, um, I can't remember how you put it, Eric, but I, I knew what you meant, um, that our journeys were just us kind of projecting our own 
ideas into this these images. I think that's what you meant. And um, and anybody who's actually had a mystical excuse me a mystical experience of any sort, including journeying, would probably just kind of laugh and say, "You've clearly never had one of these experiences because." they don't feel, they feel like nothing else. And so um, there's, there's a quality to them that is very hard to describe, which is why mystics say you can't describe them. Now we tell journeys in the form of stories. And that's interesting because stories are considered very sacred in many cultures. Um, we tell them as stories because they appear like dreams. But what's very hard to communicate is the feeling of those stories. And a piece of why I think we're taught, don't try to interpret the journey, just tell the story. Because the, the feeling is in the story, right? Like when we're hearing the story of Little Red Riding Hood, we don't stop and say, now the way the way Little Red Riding Hood felt about that was the set and the other thing. We just tell the story about the wolf and so forth because the feelings are implied in the story. And that's about as close as we can get to communicating these feelings. And the reason I'm saying all this is that I don't generally forget journeys. I may forget, uh, you know, I've done hundreds and hundreds of journeys and I may not remember every journey uh, in all its specificity, but the ones that made the biggest, most profound changes in me, that change was very profound and very immediate. And it, and it changed me. It didn't just give me some information. It made me be different as a person in a way that it's completely inexplicable. I mean, I could try to, you know, blah, 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 and talk about it, and maybe I'd get somewhere near it. So I don't need to do anything because I've already been changed. And so I don't need to work on it or process it or think about it or anything. And I don't much, um, except I kind of return to the feeling of them, of it sometimes. But I don't, I almost never analyze journeys. That's, I think I said in our other podcasts, you know, I'm a very analytical person. And one of the things about journeys for me, but I'm also a very, I'm, my mother said I was fae, which means that I live half my life with the fairies. And so those two things about me would seem to be in contradistinction. And, and maybe they are, but I tend not to think much about my journeys. I may uh, just relive them just like sort of imagine it again, um, because the change they've made is very profound and immediate, but, but somewhat inexplicable. It's, it's like the universe is now a different place because of what you just showed me or taught me or, or helped me to understand. It's, it's a different place. And after 20, I guess I've been doing during now for about 22 years, uh, after 22 years of it, um, I feel like I I live in a universe that's much more um, um, not friendly. That's not quite the right word. A comp, not accommodating. It, it includes me more. I'm more a part of the universe I live in because I feel like I've been shown things about it and how it works and how we work. And, and by work, I don't mean like machine. I mean, how, how it fits together and, and such. And so I feel like I'm in more of a friendly universe for me um, that I'm more a part of. Uh, and, 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 but that's a feeling that is extremely hard to describe. Um, it's like when you walk into a room full of people that you just are drawn to and want to sit with and be with. That's it's that feeling. You don't feel alienated. It's the opposite of alienated. And intellectuals are frequently alienated. I can be extremely alienated and have spent most of my life alienated. So the feeling of being included in the universe is hard to describe, but pretty great.
pretty great. You know, Mary Kay, when you're talking, like it, the feeling comes through, you know, yeah. like Daniel and I are looking at each other, like you could feel the feeling. Ah, you know, your good. universe that actually includes you and, you know, isn't like some hostile thing set up against you. You're, you're part of it. Right. Right. It's beautiful. Right. Maybe I'll throw like one like thing out. <clears throat> I wasn't thinking about when I was asking you to, but I, maybe I'll just do one little meditative thing just for the haze of it, which is, and I, I think it does integrate the things that we've been talking about. And then, you know, y'all tell me what you think, and then maybe we got an episode. But for me, I had the one experience where everything around me was sort of this brilliant light. So that was my answer. You know, like the way you two said you had your answers. And then, you know, part of um, the spiritualities that have interested me have been like, okay, can I see that around me? Uh, we were talking with Bob Thurman about this, and there's an old Kabbalistic book called The Bahir. And it basically says, from the point of view of people, you see a whole bunch of things around you. But from the point of view of like the endless light, everything's always been endless light. And I was like, damn, when I read that, I was like, whoa, that's my, that's my jam. <laughs> that's the way at least it is for me. And I was like, okay, so I was like, I can't see that all the time, but sometimes I can. And I had done all this Zen and I had meditated very seriously. And I had the experience like in my meditative states, I'm rocking. I like bliss, Mary Kay. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> right on, buddy. A, Go for I'm it. Tantric at heart. I like some bliss in my life. So um, I was like, okay, I had this. But like when I would go out into my daily life, I, I was like, okay, I could see this falls off because the irritation of the world's come up. Uh, you know, the world comes up. You have your hassles with people. And uh, what I learned uh, in the Tibetan Buddhist tantras, which I think is really interesting, and this fits in Daniel's vision too, is uh, that one of the techniques you do, per what your charming Irishman was saying on the bus as well, is that he can he can emulate Jesus, but they would also go a little farther and you see everyone is Jesus and you may do the imagination in your mind, you know, everyone around you, you too, but everyone around you, it's a, it's a meditative technique. You see everyone around you as Tara, if you like mm -hmm. the Buddhist goddess of, uh, you know, nurturance and compassion as Tara. And then you see everybody, you, you, you know, you see them as who they are, but you also see them as this emanation of Tara, a lot like Daniel's vision, maybe, you know, and, yeah. uh, so for me, I'll go around and I'll be like, okay, sometimes let me see if I can flip my mind to seeing everything as this pure sea of light and bliss, like our guy, Bobby T. Robert Thurman would say. <laughs> and maybe sometimes let me see if I can see this person as an emanation of if it's Jesus, if that's who speaks to you, or maybe it's Tara, or maybe it's some other, you know, cool tantric image that you like, right? And then sometimes I think even to what Daniel was saying too, sometimes when you see that, when you see that person has that divinity you can look into their heart and you can see the light there as well inside like what you were saying daniel you know that kind of inner light of people and it's it's all meditative technique and it's it's you know now that i was was thinking listen to your two answers i was like yeah i guess that's how i've tried to deal with it for myself you know to like try to apply those things so i make sure that maybe i carry it on i trust what you're saying totally mary Kay. there's a way in which you have the experience and it's there you're not going to lose it it's part of who you are yeah. and you just know it right yeah. and it's changed you but yeah, I guess for me, I also had this thing where I was like, I want to, I want to do this all the time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's the techniques that they give. It's a, it's a certain kind of meditative technique. And I, and they make the point that like, when you see the other person on the bus as uh, as JC, Jesus Christ, you're going to be kinder to them. It's just going to naturally be the case. You just remind your mind that that person is as much a divinity as you and all the things around you are. And it just makes you kinder to the universe. And maybe the universe then feels more inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Then you feel part of it and everything comes together. Uh, so that's, that's my own, I was, that's the meditative part of it, you know, like from my experience with it, that I found to be helpful. You know, uh, Daniel, I just remembered a journey I had. Um, I'll tell, tell it to you quickly. It was when Bush was president and, we were pretty disturbed and the war just went on and on and on and he was so horrible and I'm sure we can all remember the Bush years. Ugh, they were dreadful. And um, <clears throat> then Trump came and we didn't even know what dreadful was. But anyway, um, so we did a journey about what could we do about it. Um, and I can't remember the exact question, but it was about, we did a lot of journey about what should we be doing? How can we try to improve anything, you know, what can we do to make this a better time? And I remember that one of the answers we got was that we were to look at, that we were to look into people's eyes on the street and, and see the, I'm trying to remember what it was called. It, it was like 
that people were fogged over by the inundation of mm. everyday life mm -hmm. and misery and yeah. all the stuff that is happening that especially the very negative stuff that and the busyness and all that mm -hmm. but that in there is something else that is their their i don't know what you'd want to call it but their connection to reality or the good or something and that we were to make eye contact with people and try to see it mm. and wake it up Mm. like just sort of see it and and know that they've been seen that's how we were to do it was to somehow communicate that we had seen that so it just reminded me of your uh, journey daniel about looking into people's eyes now of course if you actually did that in the city you'd probably get knifed or shot pretty damn quickly but but the idea of it was still pretty cool i mean i'm not quite certain how you play that out but um but I thought it was neat, the idea that in the in all the busy craziness that makes up daily life, there's still this essence or this core of people that is the meaningful core. Anyway, it was neat. It was a neat journey. I think um, actually that's a really good place to end. Uh, if you're okay with that, Eric. Yeah, I, I love it. It's great. Yeah, it, and, it reminds and me of like just seeing the soul of people and that's just a one real quick shout out that's kind of like almost like the roomy med meditation we talked about daniel right also in your vision you look at the eyes of people yeah and throw it out there, and right? i think yeah. mary Kay, to your to your journey the the word that gets used probably you know uh more than uh people realize it's it's meaning is the word namaste right the recognition of someone else's divinity mm. right and that yeah. that that's that's what that that's what that is so right you know, to, to say it in a, you know, to wear it on a t-shirt, you know, as you're rolling around in, uh, you know, $300, uh, yoga pants <laughs> driving in a, you know, $90,000 SUV, you know, which are great if you can afford these things, but understand what it is that you're, you're portraying, you right. know, you're portraying a recognize, uh, the internal recognition of someone else's divinity recognized by your own divinity. And, um, and I think, you know, that, that was in my, in my journey and in, and in your story here and in, and in Eric's, um, sort of meditation description that you're, yeah. you're, you're trying to recognize it. Like it's on, you're doing it on purpose. You're seeing the people as that. So it's not even right. like a reminder. You're like, oh no, that's who they are. This is the, right. this is the, this is the being that's underneath having the experience of being a human. And then so, seeing it helps them to see it. Yes. That, that was the idea is that we need to be you know, that's a thing in modern psychology and everything. People must be seen in order to feel that they exist. Mm -hmm. And so that's why isolation is so bad for us. That's so right. the, the thing was, if you can see that in people, then they will see it in themselves, or at least they'll have a momentary feeling of having been seen. Well, Mary Kay, uh, as they say in some tradition, from your mouth to God's ears. Yes. <laughs> if God has ears. <laughs> if he does, you know, maybe they're pierced. Who knows? All right, uh, darlings. Very it's good. Been, it's been a slice. Thank, thank you again. Yeah, of course. So Mary Kay, thank you much for coming on again. Uh, we'll have to have you on again at some point in the future to, to, to get into some of the other things that we wanted to talk about. Uh, but we'll save that for a later date. Eric, as always, thank you for, uh, you know, being you and, and being part of the conversation. Namaste, thank my you, brother. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah. Thank you, Mary Kay. This is yeah. always great. Thank yeah. you so much. And, thank and, you uh, so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening, for tuning in to Gin and Tantra. You can find us on YouTube at the Gin and Tantra podcast. You can uh, email us at ginandtantra at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at Gin and Tantra. Uh, hit us up, share the podcast, you know, help us grow. We definitely appreciate all the feedback that everybody gives us. And, you know, on a regular basis, it definitely it's uh, it's motivation. It's fodder for our spiritual fire. Yay. For Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace. I want you to get together. I want you to get together. I want you to get together. I want you to get together.